This tradition gets started. I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with New Radio Media. And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at Let's Talk Torah. No apostrophes. Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. Um, you could try to call in. I don't think you'll get through today at 844-999-9249. So as we mention every week how warm and toasty we are, um, I'm hoping tomorrow morning I'll be even warmer. I am actually traveling from the okay weather in Detroit. I'll be down in Miami. That should be fun, so they say, with the grandchildren. I'm sure... Um, my children will keep me quite busy taking care of their grandchildren. And as we say, schlepping me around to all their friends. And I guess we'll find out. Anyways, today, a special in-house guest um, met for the first time. Contact me on Facebook. Jeff Rutledge, founder of Rated Detroit and Design Detroit. Jeff, how are you today? I'm well. I'm well, Rabbi. How are you? Good. I'm looking quite forward to our conversations. Um, I believe you're going to find Jeff to be quite... Fascinating. And as I told Jeff in our conversation, I said, uh, when, we, when we met, I said, Jeff, why do you want to come on the show? So Jeff says to me, uh, it says in my, on, on the webpage, it says that our show, my show, is for Jews and non-Jews alike. So Jeff says, I want to come on. So today will be the proof in the pudding, as we say, that our show really is for anybody that wants to learn. And hopefully Jeff is loaded with questions. Of course, we got to talk this week's Torah portion, one of the more exciting Torah portions. The 10 plagues will begin in this week's Torah portion. They won't be finished. We'll have 7 out of 10. And uh, next week's Torah portion, we'll finish it out. And the Jewish people will leave. And as a little uh, heads up for next week, it's unbelievable. Um, I did not know this. But next week, do you know what's happening on January 11th next week? I don't. No. no, neither did I. But it happens to be it is the National Human Trafficking Awareness Week. Okay. I did not know that. That is on Friday on the 11th. Happens to be that I have um, a lady by the name of, of Rachel Wasserman. She's the head of a Jewish Women's Fund in Atlanta. She's, ra- she's, she's created a training army of like 50,000 people in Atlanta for the upcoming Super Bowl to help and look out for people doing human trafficking because the Super Bowl is in Atlanta. And it seems Super Bowl is a real time. So she's on next week. I had no idea when we set the the interview, I don't know, two months ago that that's what we're going to do. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. But this week, this week we're going to talk to Jeff. So before we start, what? What does barking dogs have to do with human trafficking? You think human trafficking of dogs? No, you have no idea. We don't even know why it played. We don't know. Oh, and that didn't play. That oh. was in the office. That, that, we have a guest in the office. That <laughs> we, was a real dog. We picked that up from outside. Yes. 
cool. Okay. <laughs> as long as I know what's happening to my show in the background. Yeah. Okay, excellent. We'll get a real door up there soon. Um, in any case... Um, Jeff, just uh, before we get started, yeah. I know you got a couple companies in downtown Detroit. Just uh, let's let everybody know what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm in downtown Detroit with the Design Detroit LLC, and that encompasses uh, a couple companies. Uh, one is Reclaim Shop, where we are, are trying to find opportunity from all of the abandoned buildings in the city of Detroit. You know, I think there's still about uh, 40,000 vacant homes and abandoned buildings in Detroit. It's incredible, and for the most part, uh, the city likes to demolish those buildings and it goes to the landfill. And so uh, when you quantify the, the value of the material that heads to the landfill, there's there's about $1.2 billion worth of raw materials still sitting in the neighborhoods. And so what we do is we deconstruct those those buildings and then take that material and make all sorts of really cool products out of it, tables, guitars, you, you name it. Um, and then we have another company called Rated Detroit, which is our video production and, and media team. Um, we, we also specialize in, in, in marketing services as well for businesses. But uh, we, we started that one because we realized, well, if we're not going to get a, a, a storefront, which we're somewhat resistant to, uh, that we need to drive traffic to not only our businesses, but also the businesses that we, we represent. And so uh, video production is sort of the, the way that the, the world is, is moving right now. And so, so that's, uh, that's what I'm up to. And uh, when I saw that you had a, a podcast, I said, wow, this, this is going to be a, a, an interesting opportunity. For me, I, I grew up Catholic, so we, we share some of the same scripture. And um, I, I've always made it a point, uh, whether it's on Craig's, Craig Folly's show or we have our own little podcast that we're starting up as well to uh, put myself into uh, a, a situation where maybe I'm not necessarily so familiar with uh, you know what we're going to talk about today, and, and I may not be an expert at it, but uh, to put myself in uncomfortable situations is something that I, I've found a lot of value in, and, and hopefully I can bring something of substance to the podcast today. Let's find out. That That is cool. Just There are people out there, they call them extroverts, doesn't have to be, but, but they just like to dive in, try yeah. things they've never done before. As we say, you live once, yeah, does right. not mean I'm going to bungee jump off some bridge or something or hand glide or, for me, even ski. I'll just be on a tube in a couple <laughs> weeks, you know, keep my feet on the ground. But that is really cool. Okay, so uh, so let's get rolling. Yeah. So um, later on, um, open season, if you have anything, ask anything. But let's a little bit talk some fascinating ideas in the Torah portion. So um, interesting enough, um, because I'm going down to where my son is. He's a scholar in residence, sort of. It's called Kolel. So, and I knew this was going to happen. Uh, he studies with a bunch of uh, guys his age, married, post-college uh, age, really. He gives lectures. They all give lectures. They study a lot of Talmud. And it's one of these places where they take, it's like a rotation. Everybody has to speak like once a week about the Torah portion, and they'll do anything for a new face. So my vacation will not be a vacation. It will be, oh, so you're coming down. So maybe you'll speak here and there and I don't know. So we'll, it'll be fun. It, it doesn't take me that long to prepare it. It's prepared. Some of the stuff I'll talk today. But let's, uh, let, let's have fun. So, so interesting enough as, a, as a, just an interesting beginning, especially it's report card time. Okay. I don't know how you remember report cards, if you enjoy them or not. Uh, no, not no, particularly. Not particularly. <laughs> 
And I, not only I don't appreciate them, I have to fill them out. That's even worse. Oh. What will the child think? What will the parents think? Is it really fair? Did I really understand them? It's crazy. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought about that perspective. So here's a better perspective for you. So there's an interesting verse. The verse is describing how Moses and Aaron, it will be Moses and Aaron that will go to, go to the Pharaoh, they will warn him, the plague is coming, and the Pharaoh will say, okay, and the plague will come, and the Pharaoh will say, take it away, and Moses will say, when do you want it to go away? And Moses will go pray, and the plague will go away, and Pharaoh will say, well, no plague, why would I let the Jews out of my country? And this goes on, plague after plague after plague. So it's Moses and Aaron like a tag team, sort of, if you can think of it that way. So the verse, in, in the same verse, it says, this is Moses and Aaron. This is Aaron and Moses. Like, it, it flips the names. So one of the famous commentaries on the Bible is called Rashi. He's like the, the, he's the commentary for children and the commentary for the greatest scholars. He was like an amazing person. He opens the door for everything. So he says, why does the Torah flip it? First Moses and Aaron, then Aaron and Moses, to tell you that Moses and Aaron are equal. So the question is, what does equal mean? We, we, it, they don't have equal jobs, because that the Torah clearly said. God will speak to Moses, and Moses will tell Aaron, and, and Aaron will give the message to the Pharaoh. It's almost like he's the, the go-between, he's the translator. And there's really a bigger problem. They're not really equal spiritually either. God's only talking to Moses. Moses is going to get the Torah. Um, every time there's a problem, Moses is going to take care of it. And he's going to split the Red Sea. It's true they, they split the, there's like an even split between Aaron, Moses, and God who starts each plague. But, um, but they're not equal. That's so, but Rashi says they're equal. So what's equal about them? That's a good question. You don't have to answer the question. You're yeah, supposed to answer no, the question. Sure. So that's why it's report card time. So the answer is that, and it's important, parents should think about it, friends should think about it. Um, as much as the Constitution says we're created equal, right? we are not created equal. Some are smarter, some are taller, some are faster, some are stronger, some um, have technical know-how. There are people that have all kinds of talents I can only dream of. Right. I have talents that people would like. We're not equal. And the multi-billionaires and millionaires, there's a reason why they're so successful. And the people that are not successful, many of them, unfortunately, don't have talents. We like to say they have lead in their shoes. We're born different. We're all different. So therefore, think about it now. Uh, so God creates this person. Obviously, parents create the person, and God's involved, and he puts a soul in the person. And God decides, the Talmud tells us, a lot of what's going to be, like the talents this person will have. So now, now that God put us all down here, and he gave us all our different talents, so at the end of the day, when time's up, and we go upstairs, and God pulls out the book, he's not asking me, why did you only get a 97 on that test? <laughs> why? Because he only gave me a brain to get an 80 on the test. And he's not going to ask me, he could ask you, I could ask me, why wasn't a fantastic carpenter? Because he knows I have two left hands. So you don't want me creating anything. They, as I, you know, in my house, they take the hammer away from me. <laughs> Something breaks in the house. Okay, we're calling whoever the latest handyman is. We even won a prize recently. Um, someone's supposed to do three hours of handiwork. 
right? It's no problem. There's lots of handiwork to do, and it's not me, which is fine. <laughs> I'm very fine with that. So we're all created with our talents. So now we're gonna now we're gonna crystallize it. So every person was created with certain talents. Um, I know this is what I'm looking for, and I'll come up with it later. But uh, ability, mm-hmm. and therefore, God says, "I gave you this ability. What did you do with it?" So the 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 final test. I don't want to say test. The grade is based on. Did you use your talents to their utmost? If you did, you win. If you didn't, perhaps you lose. So therefore, when Rashi says that Moses and Aaron are equal, it means they each took their talents and they took it to the top as far as a person can take their talents. Okay, as far as God's book is concerned, you're equal. I actually give this, I, I tell this over to my class, um, this speech I'm getting good at. So um, I tell myself, but I don't, I don't get to look into your brain. I don't know how much ability you have. I don't know if the most you could get is an 80, or you should get 100 every time and you only get a 95. In classrooms, we're stuck with grades, which you probably didn't appreciate. Right. But the, but the, but the concept of people being different, I hope you could appreciate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Now, uh, one thing that, that strikes me in this story is that uh, a lot of people overlook Aaron's role. A- in fact, I, I do. I, I always think in my head, oh, well, Moses went to the Pharaoh. So, so you're saying that Aaron was the conduit between the two? Um, yeah, conduit's an interesting word. First of all, um, Moses has a terrible speech impediment. Okay. I mean, like, so bad that he can't pronounce, I always forget, either eight or ten letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's not the Hebrew alphabet. I don't care which alphabet, but half the letters he can't say. And that was a an injury that he got. It's a different story for another day where he put a burning coal into his mouth as a, as a child, as a three-year-old. So leaving that story to the side, he can't talk. So now you think, you know, now, okay, I know I listened on the radio coming in, um, the new... Um, House members have been sworn in. Mm-hmm. I assume the new Senate members have been sworn in. And, he, and this actually in the House, um, everybody gets re-sworn in because you're re-elected every two years. So in the House, everybody's re-sworn in. So, um, you, but when you think about politicians, you would never nowadays have a politician, to my knowledge, that stutters. Correct, right. Right? If he's ugly or she, if they stutter, if there's something physically wrong... They're not, it's not happening. That's just the way we are. We talk about videos and, and you're into, into videos and marketing and stuff and it's all we see. It's not happening. Right. So first thing we need to know is Moses is going to speak to the Pharaoh. He can't talk to him. He, he can't communicate really. So he's going to have to have somebody who can talk for him. Now we're going to take it one step back. So now let's think about the next part of the conversation that you made me think about. Last week's Torah portion, Moses by the burning bush. That story familiar? Yep. So he has a conversation with God for a whole week, and he tells God, I can't talk. What he really should say is, God, if you want me to be the man, fix it. How hard could that be? <laughs> Moses never asks for it to be fixed. And again, getting into the story, the reason why he burnt his lips was an angel came to save his life, and he was only saved by burning his lips. So Moses wanted that that continuous recognition, remembrance, that the reason he can't talk is because an angel saved his life. So he doesn't want to be able to talk. 
So someone's got to be the go-between. So Aaron, who is a great person, he'll become the high priest. He's Moses' brother. He's a great person. But really, and conduit is a good word. He's the go-between. And I tell my class that accomplishes something else, if you think about it. Um, kings always have that guy in between. Your go-between, your translator, because a king is too important to speak to commoners. That was actually a law. Sure, kings yeah. don't speak to commoners. I have no idea what uh, Mark, whatever her name is, the Megan, right? I guess she could talk to common people. Maybe she's a commoner. I have no idea. But certainly in the original days, a king wouldn't speak to a commoner. So Moses is going to play the same game. Right? Now it's fair. You want to talk to me? You can't talk to me. So um, I think I answered your question. Yeah. Right, yeah, we so we took care of Moses and Aaron. Okay, so we got to start the plagues. So the first plague, and the first plague's children just love them. The first plague is blood. Remember what happened? Yeah, the, the Nile turns into blood. So Nile turns into blood, and there's numerous questions why it has to turn into blood. And Aaron will use his stick to hit the river. So the commentaries ask, um, why is Aaron hitting the river? Not that you're going to hit a river. But why is Aaron hitting the river? Shouldn't Moses be doing the first plague? The Pharaoh's standing there. You've warned him. It's going to be blood. No one's going to be able to drink. Now let's pause. So what did the Jews do? I mean, were they affected by the plague? I'm sure they, they had to have been. Right? See? That's why we study. So it can't be they were affected. That, that's not the point. The point of a plague is that the Egyptian is being punished and the Jew is not. If everybody's being punished. So first of all, what does it help? And second of all... You think God can't give this one water and this one blood? But I see as time is, uh, we're going to get back to this. We got two things we got to discuss when we come back from the break. First of all, we have to figure out the the Jews weren't punished. The Egyptians were punished. We got to get more into the details of that. And we got to find out how come Moses doesn't hit the river the first time and the second plague, by the way. And how come Aaron does hit the plague? And there goes the music. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on the radio media. Hold through the break. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Contact Culture. <laughs> Mary, the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit-chat with the man. Yeah. I fell in love with. Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Show me someone who eats quickly, and chances are I can show you someone who's overweight. Japanese researchers report that people who eat quickly until they're full are three times more likely to be overweight. The findings which appear in the British Medical Journal indicate the eating style can be just as important to your weight control as what or how much you eat. The dieters have been told for years to eat slowly to give your body time to register the food it's already consumed. You can help yourself and your children by making sure everyone eats slowly and in calm surroundings. Now this may be quite a feat to achieve in a day when it's so common for people to eat while watching television. 
which is a major no-no for anyone trying to lose weight or to control their weight. So remember that when it comes to eating, your mouth is faster than the signals that tell your brain that you've had enough. So slow down and give your body the time it needs to work properly. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Brackman. And we're back. See, the music lasted long enough. I did good on that one. Okay, so we are back. We have a few things we have to talk about. First, first things first. How come Moses, who's really everybody looks at, Jeff included, as being the main man, which is true, by the way. Yeah. So you would think even if we're going to split up the plagues, I mean, come on, Moses should hit the water first. So we talked about gratitude before. And this is another gratitude statement, which is really fascinating. These Torah portions, everything... Well, let's back up. When I was in Israel, I was taking a course, and a guy who was into grammar got up and he said, everything from this commentary, it was about Rashi, is grammar. And then another guy got up and said, everything about this commentary is something, something else. And then a third guy... When you look at the Torah, whatever people's focus becomes... All of a sudden, it's all there. You want everything to be one topic. It is. You want this topic, that topic. We're going to talk gratitude. That's a big topic this week. So when Moses was born, they were actually throwing babies in the river. The Egyptians were killing the babies. They were, according to their astrology, they were looking for Moses. That's who they were looking for. So his parents figured the best place to hide Moses is in the water. Because if everybody's getting thrown in the water, you're not looking. But they didn't really expect them to survive. I mean, you make a basket, a little tar, a little clay. I mean, come on, a little wave. The basket's flipping over. So the water obviously didn't do that. Till Pharaoh's daughter comes down, she takes him out of the water, and the story continues. So Moses is saved in the water. The water does not kill Moses. There's no waves. There's no nothing. Water is calm. He lives. So, therefore, Moses says, I, I have a debt of gratitude to water, which sounds a little strange, right? Like, he has no problem drinking water, right? Or drinking water. If he wants to go swimming, swimming in the water. So, all of a sudden, you can't hit the water. And let's be real. The water doesn't feel anything. The water doesn't care. The water, water is water. Right. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, there may be people out there that don't think like that. There must be something science fiction that doesn't care about that. But in reality... Water doesn't care. So why can't he hit the water? I'm having gratitude to, to, and we'll see, to ground, to water. What gives? So the question, which has left you speechless, uh, the, question, the answer, my answer, not mine, but the answer I appreciate, is when it comes to showing gratitude, you did me a favor. I owe you a debt of gratitude. You saved my life. What, whatever happened in life that I owe you or anyone else a debt of get gratitude. So... Gratitude doesn't mean I owe you, I have to pay you back. It's not a debt to society that I must pay you. Gratitude is what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I that you did me a favor and I could go, I don't know, ratch out to the boss. I don't know. I could go make life miserable for you on Facebook. I have no idea. Whatever it is. If I owe you a debt of gratitude, it's true. Maybe I owe you something. But the purpose of showing gratitude is to make me a better person. So Moses has to show, not show, Moses intrinsically 
is a good person. A good person cannot um, be, be, be ingracious. No, that's the wrong word. Not have gratitude. I'm sure there's a better word for it. Un- ungrateful? Ungrateful. That's a much better word. <laughs> good. Moving along. Okay. Okay. So let's get back into the plague. So as we, we said, it has to be that the blood only affects the Egyptians. That means, and we do this with kids we, when we act out the plague and we talk about it and they laugh and they have a good time. But the Jew takes a cup of water from the river, it's water. The Egyptian takes a cup of water, it's blood. Okay. Interesting enough, the, the Talmud says if the Egyptian paid the Jew, um, then it would be water. Really? And as there was a way out, huh. an expensive way out, but there's a way out. So if you could pay, you could, you could pay for water. But otherwise, you have no water. You have no water to drink, um, which means, by the way, and it's interesting because in magic, uh, people love to watch the magic shows and stuff, uh, it's quite debatable how far that kind of magic, or the Hebrew word is kishuf, how far, well, I guess you call it black magic, or how far it really, really went. Maimonides says they couldn't do anything. It was all sleight of hand, the same way people nowadays fool you. They couldn't do anything. Some say they could do some things, but what's interesting is God wants to show them it's really blood. It's re- and you know how you know it's really blood and I'm not fooling you? Taste it. Well, that would be one, but what if I could convince <laughs> you, right? I can, I can convince you, and I, I mean, I don't know about you, but we can convince people anything, Right? So if I convince you it tastes like blood, that's not a proof. The okay. proof is what happens to the fish in the water? They I'm not die. convincing fish anything. See, if they die, it must yeah. be blood. If they don't die, you're just fooling me. So the verse says the fish died. Right. So this plague actually lasts a full week. Pharaoh does not ask for the plague to go away because you're not dying. I mean, you know, it's not so uh, convenient and we're thirsty and, and there's blood everywhere because uh, anywhere where there's moisture turns to blood. But uh, we can live with it. So the Pharaoh lets the plague go for the week, and then the plague, the plague evaporates. And they're back to their water. So before we move on, anything in the blood do you want to... Um, I, I, I guess I, I want to go back to you talking about Aaron hitting the water. Uh, you, you were saying, in, in talking about gratitude, you were suggesting that, that Moses had that gratitude, so Aaron was the one... Right. Okay. I got and you. somebody has to hit the water. Right. So it, Mo, Moses has that special gratitude. Aaron was never thrown into the water. So Moses has to show what kind of person would I be. But you, somebody's got to start the plague. And was it, it was Aaron's staff or was it Moses' staff? So that's a very interesting question. And if somebody wants to email me, they could. I'm not sure. Okay. Because for different reasons, it would seem it should be Moses' staff. When you read the verse, you can't tell. Okay. And there's other reasons why it should really be Aaron's staff. So it's an interesting question. And, and like all good questions, we're not sure. And it probably doesn't right. really matter. Right. So then we get to the next plague is frogs. Kids love that plague. I, I had a boy. I teach third graders. So he brought in a stuffed frog. <laughs> now, you have to imagine, in your classroom, I don't think this ever happened, but one never knows. Um, it, was, it was very important to this child that when I talked about frogs, he could take his frog out, which is fine. But when I started talking about the frogs hopping around, he threw his frog across the classroom. Because in his mind, it's all part of acting out the frog. Like, so what's wrong? Well, what's wrong is there's a certain amount of decorum in a classroom. But 
he so doesn't realize what he did, I completely ignore it, pick up the frog, play with it, and give it back to him. He's like, he doesn't get it, which is fine. So the next leg is frogs. So again, the frog will come out of the water, and it will invade the country. So the question is, what's the actual plague? So part of the plague is the tremendous amount of noise. There is just this, this roar of frogs, which is one problem. The other problem is they're everywhere. So if you open your mouth, they're jumping in. So you, you can't yawn, you can't talk, you can't cook your food. You're just overwhelmed. Now, it happens to be, again, interesting. Um, where did these frogs come from? In other words, did they just millions of frogs just crawl out? Right. Which is, some say yes. Um, Rashi, again, that commentary says a fascinating um, telling you what happened. The Talmud really says it. It says one big frog came out. One frog came out. So what's the big deal? One big frog. So the big deal was the Egyptians said, that's the plague? Let's go kill it. So they go and they start hitting it with, again, I make up stuff in class, swords and baseball bats. And a boy will say, Rebbe, they didn't have baseball bats. I said, whatever, sticks and pitchforks. They probably didn't have pitchforks and swords and, and whatever we make up. And then, the, then Rashi says it exploded. And as they just came pouring out, that was the miracle. But, but they continue on in the commentaries and explain that still how many frogs would there be? So it says every time you tried to kill a frog, it multiplied. Doubled, doubled, quadrupled. The math goes pretty fast, which means that the Egyptian is hitting the frogs, and as he's hitting them, he's watching them grow. So really, the Egyptian should be sitting there after 16 turned to 32. He said, you dope, (laughs) right? Right. Like, stop. So why can't they figure out to stop? It's a fascinating psychological concept. Yeah. So it says when a person gets angry, there's a great lesson for everything. When a person gets angry, his brain turns off. He no longer thinks rationally. It's, it's impossible. Now, I don't mean a little angry. I mean like you get mad. When people get mad, right. they, they're, you know, we make fun. Smoke is coming out of the nose and the eyes turn red. But yeah, when a guy gets, or a lady, by the way, uh, when someone gets really angry, they can't talk. Right. They, they, the, everything they do will be bad. If you feel yourself, lesson, life lesson, if you feel yourself losing it, just, just stop. Don't talk. Just back off. Go to another room. Do something. Because there is no way you will do anything good or intelligent when you're angry. It's not happening. So um, the Egyptians are angry. So they're not thinking. So God's laughing. This is your fault, guys. Right? You keep hitting them. Hit, 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 they expand, they grow, they grow, they grow. And this plague, actually, Pharaoh wanted to go away. And Pharaoh does something fascinating. Moses says, Pharaoh, when would you like me to get rid of the plague? Your you're call. So, you know, everybody's a psychologist, right? So Pharaoh says, ooh, I bet he knows it's from the stars, it's leaving this second. That's why he asked. I want him to leave tomorrow. He says, I'll suffer another day if I can prove it's not God. That's... Well, Moses says, no problem. I will pray. That's interesting. It seems it takes prayer from Moses to get rid of the frogs. He prays for the frogs to leave or the plague to end. Frogs leaving is wrong. The frogs never left. They died. So frogs dying um, leaves a wonderful smell 
as they rot in the amazing heat right. of Egypt. So the plague sort of lingered. And again, Pharaoh said, the Pharaoh said, I'm going to let you go if you get rid of the frogs. Now that the frogs are gone, well, you know, I thought about it. I changed my mind. And here comes my music again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not letting Jeff talk. So in our next segment, Jeff is going to talk. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media, and we'll be right back. I'm Jackie Callis, Dr. Mark Berkowitz. We all accumulate so many products. They probably dry it yeah. out if I open the jars. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. But I don't eat the yolks. That's yeah. not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! Nice! <laughs> Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. And as promised, I've done a lot of talking. And I told Jeff he'd be able to ask questions. Here, I'm asking all the questions. Jeff, if you wish, fire away. Well, well right away, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, growing up, uh, I went to public school. So, you know, on every Monday, I would go to something called catechism, where we would learn about the Bible and, and dissect it in our classes. And uh, right away, the way that you're describing uh, the plagues, I see uh, significant, uh, like significantly more depth in how you break down these plagues. Also, some of the details, I, I don't even know if I learned uh, about Aaron and Moses being, you know, somewhat equal, um, or as you, you're saying, they are in fact equal. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you off for one second. This yeah. is an interesting thought because this may blow your mind. Okay. How old were you? Let's not old. How what grade were you in? When you were when you were going to uh, catechism, catechism, yeah. So it was like third through uh, all the way to eighth grade, and then after eighth grade, you're confirmed into the the Catholic Church. Cool. Yeah. If I tell you the stuff that we're discussing 
is a regular, everyday conversation with my third graders. In other words, when you're getting to fourth and fifth grade, then the conversation obviously has to go deeper because right. our brains are developing. I just wanted to... And, to and help. I also wonder, maybe, you know, are there things lost in translation, you know, from Hebrew to English? Definitely. Uh, and that's, that's, what Definitely. I'm, that's what I'm gauging. Right, because the nuances, the Hebrew language is a fascinating language. And, and yeah, there's, we, we actually, the Talmud goes ahead and, and looks at each word. Why this word? Why this sentence structure? Why is it set up this way? And that's what many commentaries are busy trying to figure out. And they're arguing with each right. other. These are arguments that are thousands of years old. And, but as soon as you put in another language, and I say, well, why would you use this word? Well, we, God didn't use that word. That's the way you translated it. I, I even have this with my son at night where I want real literal translation when we're studying. And then there's explanation. And he gets confused when I'm explaining or translating. He said, well, you said it this way. And I said, no, no that was explanation. Now right. let's retranslate and see does it fit. Does your big large, beautiful explanation fit into the simple words of the text. It's very right. um, text-based, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Cool. Yeah. Good. What else you got for me? Well, so uh, the other day, I uh, to prep for, for the show, I, I decided to watch a couple documentaries, and one of them just struck me because they, they wanted to put some sort of scientific explanation onto, um, onto the, the, ten, the ten plagues, and you know, the first one they thought, you know, could be some sort of algae bloom, which then caused tadpoles to develop quicker, which then, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And then there was some sort of explosion on, uh, I think, the island Cyprus that could cause darkness and also, you know, so it, it was very interesting. So I, I'm really curious to know, are there uh, prominent rabbis in, in the, the community that, that have that that same notion? Do they do they believe that it was uh, supernatural? Do they want to look for some sort of natural explanation? How does how is that debate in the Jewish community? That's really a very good question. Actually, that's what everybody says to me when I ask a good question. Oops, I wanted to use it. No. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's the reason why it's an interesting question is it really depends on when you say prominent rabbi. It really depends who you're talking about. Sure. In other words. In, in Orthodox circles, and Orthodox, the best way to translate Orthodox is that we have the Torah, we have the written Torah, which is what you have some familiarity with. Uh-huh. We have the oral law and the oral Torah, which is everything that's been passed down for explanations. And that's it. Okay. In other words, that's the end game. If that's, if that's how the verse says it, then that's what happened. If that's okay. how the, the oral law said it, that's what happened. I actually learned last night, with, two nights ago with my son, a, what's called a Mishnah which is called the oral law. And it says if somebody goes out, for example, a person's not allowed to marry his father's wife. Even if they get divorced, that happens to be a law. Very straightforward. So the Mishnah says that anybody who goes out and translates that to mean someone who doesn't treat his father properly is from the outsiders, meaning he's okay. not using the text the way it says. He's not using the oral law the way it says. There are certainly people that will say are not orthodox or not are not religious the way I am, mm-hmm. right? With, meaning they have to keep all the commandments that they don't want. See, that's really the problem. They don't want the story to be God right. because if the story is God and God did this, well, then how come I'm not following everything he says? But if I say, well, it's not literal and don't take it the way it is, well, then I don't have to take anything. And as soon as I can take one verse and say, 
that's not really true. So what makes any other verse better? Right. You know, we're not picking and choosing. Oh, Sabbath. Yeah, that one. That one's real. Kosher. That's a good one. Honor your parents. Great one. Um, idol worship. Good one. Uh, you know that one uh, with the ritual slaughter. I, I don't like that one. Right. Uh, that, that was not. That was only in those days. So the answer is that that from where I'm coming from in Orthodox um, circles. Yep. So there will be no one that will want to make it all just. Scientific. I once had a friend ask me, there, there was someone out there that wanted to say that the world wasn't created in six days. The world was created in millions of years. And, but for God, God, time is, there's no, no time for God. So each day could have been 100 million years. Right. So I asked the guy, I said, why do you want to say this? As if you will believe that there is a God. And he says he created the world in six days. What bothers you to say that God did it in a second? What, why does that bother you? Right. And when we talk about science, also something to think about, right? In other words, we've decided that we, we are so advanced scientifically, we have all the answers. A hundred years ago, they also thought they had all the answers. <laughs> right. And a hundred years from now, they're going to laugh at us. Right. right? They're going to say, that was science. You were clueless. You didn't know anything. That was a computer? Computer, that's like, hello. So... Um, so that becomes the answer. In other words, those documentaries, if we can make it that scientific, that some crazy things happened, and somehow Moses knew right, when he warned Pharaoh that there was going to be an explosion in Cyprus, right? Mm-hmm. Even to, and I, was, I, I, don't, I don't think we need to take it apart. We could, but it's not necessary. Right. right but just that simple question, right? Moses in Egypt, and he knows there's an explosion in Cyprus, but he's already warned Pharaoh that it's coming, right? Like, right. it does make sense. Right. But the point is, I mean, that's the problem with every, uh, when, when religion and science conflict. Right. So this is what I always think about. I mean, you took science, I imagine. Yeah, oh yeah. Right, so there's a rule in science called hypothesis, right? Correct. Because my kids had to make science projects. And if you want to pass, you have hypothesis, uh, hypothesis, and you have to explain how you went about testing. And like my kid comes in and says, it didn't work. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? I got the wrong answer. I said, there's no wrong answer. You had a question. You did an experiment. Now you have an answer. Right. But if I have an answer first, and then I make an experiment to show, see, I'm right, Correct. or I could possibly be right, that's not a hypothesis. That's not science. That's just making up your own religion. That's correct. Right. So, uh, oh, I, I really appreciate that answer. I, I, in fact, the, the part that I really appreciate from that answer is that it's sort of a, uh, excuse my French, but it's sort of a cop-out excuse to pick and choose what you want to follow. And, and, and it's sort of a, a cop-out of responsibility to if some If that's degree. your French, I'm very happy. <laughs> no, I always joke with people. We, we, our language here is very clean. So when people say part of my French, you well, yeah, French. yeah. So yeah, that, uh, if cop-out is your French, I'm good. <laughs> I am very good. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you again. Go ahead. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I I see it. I see it just like like you said. And and in fact, if we look at you know, physicists are still trying to figure out the the laws of the universe. They they can't. They have the best guess, right? But they don't even know ninety percent what ninety percent of the universe is made out of. They think it's this dark energy, dark matter, whatever. They're just throwing spaghetti to the wall and then going and figuring out their math thereafter. And so to, to that point that you, that you just made, you're, you're, you're right. Um, so it's, it, you know, and that's where I guess, um, I guess that's where faith has to come into play, right? 
Yes. The, the interesting thing is the answer to that is yes and no. There's, okay. there's rabbis out there. There's a rabbi, Yosef Mizrahi. He has a website. He doesn't like how people look at faith. He says, if you opened your mind and you looked around, you could figure it out. It's pretty easy. Abraham did it. Okay, he was brilliant, but still. Um, you can look around and figure out that there was a God, that yeah. the world was created. You may not want to figure that out. Because if you want to, if you come to that conclusion, and that was Pharaoh's problem in all these Torah portions, if he agrees there's a God, well, God said, let the Jewish people go. So you'd rather not agree that there being a God, whatever it takes. I mean, that's what Pharaoh was doing. So if we, if we open our eyes, right, so then it, 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 it doesn't have to just be faith. You could figure out a lot, a lot of stuff, and it's not just faith. I know this rabbi always likes to talk about, um, like, a cup. Okay. Take a cup, I have a cup. You can want something more complicated, take a pen. So he says two things about the pen. He says, he says, I don't care what happens. You can have an explosion all day long, every day. There's no pen. I can take the piece of the pen and throw them up in the air and put them in a mixing bowl, and it's not going to be connected as a pen when I'm done. Right? I can take paper and water and, I don't know, and just leave it outside. It's not turning into a nice cup with pretty designs and <laughs> colors. It's not happening. So, so if you think about it, and you, and you yourself with some of your businesses, um, you guys create stuff. Right. right? You're not going and tearing down a house in Detroit, and miraculously, there's a, a guitar that was created when you, pour, when you took apart that wood. Correct. And, and the second part is that if there's a guitar that you create, so let me ask you, um, was there any reason you made that guitar, or just for no reason at all? Oh, because I wanted to play it. You wanted to play it. So there's a purpose. Yeah. So anything that's created will Has come along with a purpose. Yeah. So if God created the world, he didn't create the world and say, I'm done. He created it with a purpose. The right. purpose is lots of answers, to know God, to get close to God, to act like God, to be kind, to deserve to be rewarded. That's, okay, that's already theology, which we don't have to get too deep into today because then people will get tired. Well, well, something that you mentioned, that, I forget which uh, scientist mentioned this about the probability of the universe and, and the spawning of life itself was there is, there is less chance to take all the keys on your keyboard, put them in a bag, shake it up, and then you know, throw out all those keys and it be a keyboard again. There, there's a better chance that that happens. Right. Like, right. like let that sink in for a second. There, there's a better chance that you can break that keyboard, put it in a bag, and open that bag up again, and it's a keyboard again. Cool, Tony. We're gonna it, do that later. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna check this <laughs> yeah. out. See what happens. Yeah, let's just break a keyboard right now. Let's see if we can <laughs> do will, it. Oh, please. <laughs> right. It's you know sometimes we have to think. So, and it's sometimes at the end of the day it may be faith. Yeah. Sometimes right. I just have to rely on my faith because I, I can't get it all. But to say that I'm clueless and I, I, and I don't see anything, and no one says I have to understand everything. Like, right. I always think about it. If I understood everything that God wanted, then he's not a God. And it's right. got to be, I, you know, I, I know, right? God is way, way smarter than me. Because right. if we're sort of like on, on even par, what kind of God is he already? Right. right? So... So it's okay that I don't understand everything God does. Doesn't make me happy. Doesn't mean uh, I, I have. To, I want to go along with it. But if that's what God wants, then that's that's the rules and regulations. That's the way the totally. game is played. Right. Any quick one before my break, which is 
crawling up faster than I can imagine? Um, well, I, I do have a, a, a big question. And, cool. And it may, it may take more than the time that we have, but I'll, I'll start the question. So okay. in Christianity, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Um, Judaism also has their ideal Messiah who... Maybe I'm not wording this correctly, but but will so be coming. Hold that, hold that thought. Okay. Because I see my screen is going blank. Okay. And Perfect. my music is coming on. We're gonna get to that as soon as you come back, and we're gonna have to make it quick because our day is going fast. So you're listening to see on New Radio Media. We'll be right back. Awesome. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a five-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sleeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. It's not science fiction, it's science fact. Tiny robots crawling through your body helping doctors to identify disease and perform operations. The tools are known as snake bots and they carry tiny cameras, scissors, and forceps. For now, these snake bots have to be controlled by humans and they remain attached to tethers. But we're not far from the day when the machines will cut the tether for good and be allowed to roam your body on their own in damaged organs. Now already the tethered snake bots have proven extremely useful and they make it possible to conduct previously invasive surgery in ways that were never thought possible just a few years ago. So imagine, for example, a heart bypass operation that does not require a major incision in your chest and the opening up of your ribcage. Now these things are being made possible today and will in the not too distant future become the rule rather than the exception when it comes to major surgeries. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Brackman. And we're back. And Jeff wants to ask one of the million dollar questions. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's restart it. So okay. let's let's get to the, the clarity on the question. Yeah. So Christianity or Catholicism, they root their Messiah with within the ideals of, of Jesus. Um and Judaism, they have a, a Messiah as well that will be coming. And there are certain benchmarks that must be met in order to, to know that this is the person. And so I, I'm curious, what are those benchmarks and, and how will we know that that is the person? And that's a very, very good question. First of all, um, one of the requirements, which no one could prove, right, God's going to have to say that's who it is, okay. is he has to be a descendant, male-wise, of King David. He must be son after son after son from King David. No one can tell you nowadays that they're related. And even if they do these genealogy trees, there's women in the way, right. ladies in the way, has no value to the Messiah. Okay. So Maimonides himself 
talks about a lot of the rules and regulations, what the Messiah is supposed to do. And it's an interesting question if it's before or after. Um, one is he's going to have to rebuild the temple or have the temple rebuilt. Okay. That's one. Another one is he's going to have to gather the Jews in from around the world. And people wonder if uh, with all the Jews moving to Israel, would that qualify? An interesting question. Um, he's going to have to satisfy the rabbis that he is a very holy religious person. The Talmud even talks about that he'll be so sensitive, is probably the best word, he'll be so sensitive to, to spirituality that he can smell if something is kosher or not kosher, if it was slaughtered properly or not slaughtered properly. Now, to say there weren't questions over the millennium, there were. There's historically... There have been many people that have claimed the Messiah, turned out to be false messiahs, and it has been massively destructive to the Jewish people. A famous one was by Kochba. He was that great warrior after the, the destruction of the Second Temple. He was routing the Roman armies, and even the great Rabbi Akiva thought he was the Messiah. He did some things to show that he said, it's me, not God, and the rabbis backed away from him. So no, it's not an automatic where where he walks up one day and says, I'm the Messiah, we all bow down and say, yes, you are. Right. There's going to be a lot of proof and showing he's the man. Another famous one was Shabbat Tzvi in the 1600s. Very holy, Kabbalistic person, and he had tens of thousands of followers. I mean, you had people throughout Europe selling everything to follow this man. And, and he was a false Messiah. He shows up in Turkey, and he, I can't remember the name, I forgot the name of the of the of the Turkish um, leader, whatever whatever he was, and he basically the leader said, either I chop your head off for you, put on the I forget what they call it, you put on the uh, the turban mm-hmm. of a Muslim, and he did, and his followers though couldn't handle it, like well it's a trick, and he's just getting in there, and he's fighting holy spirits, and he's fighting bad spirits, and this, and he's gonna come out, and it's really not true, but that was devastating. Interesting. It was so devastating. That, and I had somebody try to send me an email about this. Kabbalah is one of those things that is really, after you've studied everything, you're well-versed, Talmud, Torah, everything, then you start dipping your feet into what we call the waters of Kabbalah, Holy, Zohar. But there's Kabbalah centers nowadays. very interesting, very exciting. Sounds, yeah. It's like having like too much sugar, you know, just having the cake at the end of the day. And these people are clueless what it is. The rabbis back then already said... This Kabbalah is too dangerous. No one learns Kabbalah. Or select few with select teachers because it was just too dangerous. Hmm. And even people that hundreds of years later have been proven to be great scholars um, at certain times were ostracized because the main group of rabbis were scared of them. They said, he's too much into the Kabbalah, it's too dangerous, and we can't let the Jewish people be led astray by another false messiah. It's just too dangerous. So there are, there's, and there's other things that they start getting nitty gritty, not so important, but that gives you an idea. You know, there'll be the chauffeur will blow, it'll be the great sound of the trumpet, um, he'll have to be preceded by Elijah the prophet, whatever mm. that means. Um, some say there's really two messiahs, there's one from the house of Joseph, and there's one from the house of David, and my time is running down, and I'm going to miss my letter. you got to let me do my letter. 30 seconds. <laughs> Kelsey, ready? My letter? My letter is ready. So this week on a very short letter, um, my letter is the seventh letter. It is a Zion. It makes a Z sound. And it's, uh, the word I wanted this week is Ze. Ze means to point. It's a very interesting Hebrew word because this means pointing, and it's only used a few places 
in the in the Torah as a word, because God will point out to Moses certain things that he cannot grasp just by being told. There's a lot of things we need pictures for. We talk about video and stuff. So uh, as my time is winding down, I got to end with this, with this joke. I it. think it's a joke. Um, it might be true. Anyways, a priest and a rabbi are holding up a sign. The end is near. Some guy comes speeding by in his sports car, yells, screams, you crazy people, rips around the corner. The rabbi looks at the priest. All of a sudden you hear screeching brakes and a splash into the ravine. So the rabbi turns to the priest and says, uh, maybe we should have a different sign. Instead of the end of near, maybe we should say bridge out. <laughs> right? Because it's a lot of times it's how we give over the message. And Jeff, I appreciate you coming today to help yeah. us give out the message. Thank you, Rabbi. And oh, I, oh, I am running out of time. So again, I thank you. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, this let's was do it really again. fun. This was great. I'm so glad we met. Um, we have to thank our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Tony, Kelsey, Alan, and Angel. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk to our New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.